Hello, everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm Leslie Third. I'm Jack Allison. And today, you know, we we say a lot. We don't. We're not really big on cancel culture, generally no. speaking. Generally speaking, sure. I mean, I, it's fun to cancel things oh. all the time, and I partake in cancel culture, and we love it. But I'm, I'm not like a big proponent yeah, no, of it or anything no, like that. No, 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 no. It's fun to do, but I'm not a proponent. <laughs> no, of it. no, no. Well, we, we don't want other people to do it. Just us. Don't do it to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Leave it to the professionals. <laughs> Leave it to the professional cancelers. And we are here today to cancel not a person, not necessarily a thing, but a concept, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, the term elevated horror. You heard mm-hmm. it before. You've read in reviews mm-hmm. of um, two or three movies. Yeah. You've you've maybe seen some discussion about it. Not amongst any people who actually like horror movies. <laughs> Not- it's actually mostly amongst people who don't like yes, horror who, movies, who, who find themselves, despite all odds, liking a horror movie and have to find a way to describe it so that they don't have to deal with the being aghast that they might have liked a lowly horror movie. Yes, so we, we, we'll, we'll get into it later, but we're kind of here to cancel the term elevated horror, and I brought on two special guests to talk about this. Um, our first guest is the host of the Sleazoids podcast, a podcast that, you know, dives deep and often into horror movies but other genre films and you know really talks about them in their element he's very knowledgeable about them don't think he likes term elevated horror even though he runs a horror podcast i don't know yeah it's kind of interesting and that's of course josh lewis thank you so much for coming on Thanks for having me on. And no, this term is bullshit. And I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's cancel yeah. it. Wow. And oh yeah, another proponent of cancel culture. Yeah. All right, you find you find yourself in good company here. Yeah, and we have another special guest who has done some research on the term elevator horror, where it's come from. He's gotten to the bottom of it. Mm. Uh, he knows the origins of it, and he's going to share that with us. Um, this is Kurt Schiller, who hosts the podcast. Uh, Paris Just Don't Understand, a podcast about uh, children's media, parenting, and the nature of childhood. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Big fan of the show and, you know, psyched to be here and psyched to uh, cancel something. All right. So <laughs> I've always wanted to cancel something ever since I was a child. <laughs> great. It's the best. We love it. We love to do it. <laughs> All right. So elevator horror. Where do we, where, let's, before we cancel it, before we bury it, let's talk about where we first heard it. I first heard during the you know was it a winter winter when white people lost their mind for a little film called get out Mm -hmm. um (laughs) people were like you know black people like the film too but white people were really 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 on one about get out it couldn't and it could and because of that it couldn't just be horror it couldn't be just like a black guy made a great horror film like that wasn't possible that wasn't in the cards right it had to be something else it had to be elevated horror it had to well be something... it, was, it was the first horror movie with social themes in it before. oh yes yes uh social yeah first <laughs> horror movie that tackles things like racism you know ever <laughs> ever is is a wonder <laughs> that like the guy from mad tv was the first guy um, <laughs> to, to think i'm doing it there you would think you know maybe something like i don't know maybe somebody already did it and i don't know like night of the living dead one of the greatest yeah, horror movies right. of all time starring a black guy i don't know but yeah that's when i first encountered it and immediately i got 
um, I think it's a medical term. It's called douche chills when I read it <laughs> because I knew what it meant. And I knew what they were trying to do. They were trying to say like, okay, there's going to be one or two, if we're lucky, horror films that we can take seriously, right? That are going right. to be the elevated horror. They're good. These are going to be the industry approved, academy approved, elevated horror films. And then everything else, uh, gets to be treated as trash, dog shit, uh, written off <laughs> and sold too for every film that came out before Get Out. Like every single one, every horror right. film before Get Out. Also dog shit, trash, worthless. Um, no, you know, redeeming value whatsoever. It'll just be these couple of handful of films that we're going to pick out and say, all right, these are the real ones. These are the good ones. But, but isn't that part of the thing though, is like when you start, uh, you know, arguing with people about it, uh, they immediately say, oh, well, actually this has always existed. I mean, the, the Omen is an elevated horror film. The Exorcist is an elevated horror film. It's a, it's a nice little two-step. It's a nice little two-step when you when – you, when you, when you, like when they start using it, it's only like to talk about these particular movies. And then when you call bullshit on it, they'll say, oh, no, no, no. Like this was elevated horror and that was elevated horror too. But like if you we'll – we'll dive into the origins. But like nobody was calling those films elevated horror. Those are just good. Those are what you call. They were called horror. Yeah, and horror. Was movie. Like this is a really good horror. Yeah, this is a really good horror. <laughs> really, movie. really good one. Yeah, yeah, this was back before, like when, like you could have a hit movie that um, didn't star like someone in spandex. Like this was back <laughs> when you had a very diverse array of films in different genres uh, that could be, you know, top at the box office and it wasn't a strange or a weird thing and you didn't have to invent a new term for it it was just a that genre film and it was successful and meaningful and spoke to the issues of the time and of the day and that was fine but uh you know maybe i maybe i'm being crazy maybe i'm being nuts but what when did you first hear about elevated horror jack when did i first hear about elevated horror i mean i feel like you know, did did uh, it follows come out before Get Out? Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. I feel like it yeah. follows was the first time I heard that was for the me too. elevated horror term, and I saw it follows, and I even think it follows is like fine, but it's. I don't know. I, I think it like so it like it was a way for reviewers to like set it apart. It's like even less elevated horror than like Get Out. It yeah. doesn't even really have like bigger themes to it. It's just like a. It's just like shot good or something. <laughs> well, no, that's it. That's actually that's actually a huge part of it because part of my issue is what we mean by the term like actually elevated. Because what they're referring to most of the time is, yes, there's one, there's the sort of, um, you know, the, the thematic context of it or how they've, you know, done some sort of deeper character drama as people have seen. But the other part is just that these filmmakers, what they mean by quality is that they're good at mimicking traditional art or drama filmmaking modes is really right. all that they mean. Whether it's a derivative film or not or written that way doesn't matter. It's like the guy knows how to use a dolly. So therefore, this is inherently better than <laughs> yeah. someone making, you know, a more disreputable filmmaking mode. Right. Someone like it's Eli easier. Roth making a hostile film, even if that film has much more cutting of a commentary than half of these films that come out in this way. So I, I was yeah, say, it's I, almost even like a kind of reflection of like digital cameras being better more than it <laughs> is a reflection on the art form, you know, uh, being elevated. But sorry, I cut you off, Kurt. No, no I, I was going to say I, I believe that It Follows does qualify as an elevated horror film because uh, somebody pees their pants in it and in a serious way, not as a joke. 
<laughs> um, but no, you know, it's it's interesting that you mention it follows in that capacity because um, you know, not to not to like jump to to like the the research portion, but I actually didn't find anyone calling it follows uh, elevated horror until after people already started calling other things that. Like at, when it came out, I didn't see anybody calling it that. They were calling it like a couple people may have called it like social horror, which is like one of those like orthogonal <laughs> terms. That's just kind of like another like we- weaselly bullshit term that kind of is used in the same way. Yeah. I think. A meaningless, a meaningless thing that doesn't mean a, a thing to yeah. say. <laughs> I do remember when It Follows came out and people who weren't super into horror and very diverse array of horror were like telling people, everyone, you have to watch It Follows. And then like, and then when I watched and then when I actually, you know, get around to watching him, like, okay, this is just like one of like five horror movies that come out every year that are kind of like this and about this good. Like it, it was fine, but it wasn't something that really, you know, stood out to me. Like I haven't gone back, bothered to go back and wa- rewatch it like ever. Yeah, neither have I. It's mostly just a pretty good Carpenter riff. That's really what mm-hmm. it is. And, you know, it's just like you could go back and watch Carpenter movies, but uh, I'm not they certain that a lot of people have person. watched those who use the term elevated horror. So <laughs> they had a good costume person who, like, really did a good job with the sort of 70s look. <laughs> I really think that, like, the 70s outfits were a big part of what people liked about It Follows. Well, and, and the, the conceit is, is clever the idea of a sort of a sexually transmitted ghoul or whatever it mm-hmm. is and in using mm-hmm. that in sort of a teen movie context so like i understand why that movie like picked up and i did enjoy that movie yeah. but it is it it is interesting that like this is all kind of part of a larger movement of filmmakers who have kind of taken these more um good looking or expensive looking uh sort of filmmaking routes and applied them to horror movies that we've seen before again there's not anything particularly unique about it follows except for its remix of things I, I I feel like it's it's important to point out that um you know I I do think that there are some like stylistic similarities that people try to point to in all of these films um yeah but it it doesn't necessarily mean anything from like a creative aspect it just means that they have you know like similarities and that they're good films and like you say they're they're shot well like you can talk about right. cowboy films and say oh well in this all the cowboys wear blue and in this one they don't and it doesn't make it you know a, a blue cowboy genre it just means they have you know stylistic <laughs> similarities right which is like you know you can talk about like spaghetti westerns but that means a very specific thing it's like this wave of, it- of italian uh western movies that were made by this specific group of people elevated horror does not describe anything. It doesn't help me to, like, <laughs> understand what is or isn't elevated horror. It's just something that, like, critics... I, I swear to God, it is like a signifier. It's interesting that you say that they didn't actually talk about uh, uh, elevated horror with It Follows, because I feel like I got that sort of sense, because the the talk about It Follows, and I think this goes for all things they refer to as elevated horror, is that it's kind of this thing where they're like, yeah, it's a horror movie, but this one's actually good, not like the rest of all the horror movies. It's like, people, who, there's a kind of like sneering about horror uh, implicit in the elevated horror, uh, uh, you know, dialogue. Oh, so um, it, it's interesting you, you, you mentioned that because there's another film that I think if it came out now, everybody would be calling elevated horror. Uh, but it, I, I have never heard it. I've never seen it called elevated horror contemporaneous to when it came out. And that's the original uh, Let the Right One In, which yes, has like, a lot of the same that. trappings. But n- nobody called it that at all. 
Yeah, it was just a good as a horror movie, and people liked it. I actually think the you know remake, even the remake too, does have that aesthetic quality that you know it follows has that the witch um, has that that you know uh, get out or us has hereditary has that same kind of sheen on it that makes people look at it and if you're not paying attention to it you think it might be like an oscar bait movie right like that like a, a lot of ways like the term elevated horror could be like prestige horror <laughs> like prestige tv respectable pre- horror yeah that's really what they're going for that's really what it should be changed into actually what they're saying and you know right and it really does get why this term rubs so many people the wrong way even people who make some of the hor- elevated horror films, like does not Jordan Peele, does not like the term elevated horror. He want he wanted us to just be called horror, period. Because anybody who actually loves horror films and does want to elevate them and bring them to the next level is doing so based on like horror movies that they already love, like a John Carpenter, you know, and Omen, you know, all Rosemary's Baby. All these classic horror films, they are trying to build off of them and they don't want their importance to film, period, not just horror film, but film, period, erased in order to elevate like their latest release. That doesn't, that's not something they want to do. And the, the implicit in the term elevate horror, why it's not useful like spaghetti western or mm-hmm. even psychological thriller, someone mentioned to me, is inherent in the term is putting down everything else. And that right. really just sucks. It really just is not a good thing. Why don't they just call call these movies horror, and we can call all the other horror movies lowered, horror. <laughs> <laughs> L- low low and bad horror? We do actually. I actually thought we do a whole show on what they call trash and exploitation films, right. which is like the, the idea of that. Which it's funny because a lot of the time they are right when they talk about that there was a more sort of classy horror that existed, and actually trash and exploitation was the response to that in the 60s and 70s when those tools kind of became more available and these genres kind of established themselves. Filmmakers were like, oh, so if people will come to watch a horror movie, then some weirdo will give me like $10,000 to shoot a horror movie and we can market it, put a poster and people will come watch it. And then, so one aspect of this people don't talk about is is the money of it because an exploitation film was made very, very cheaply. And because of that, you know, they don't have studio execs breathing down their neck, telling them what Mm. they need to do. So what you'll find and what we found going through exploitation movies uh, is that a lot of the time they are actually frequently more artistically interesting because you have unimpeded visions. And a lot of the time what you will see is, you know, a grimmer ending that they didn't focus test to find out if an Mm. audience would be made uncomfortable by it or, you know, (laughs) things of this nature. So like, this idea that, you know, uh, these movies that replicate kind of like a more classical or more expensive looking movie is somehow right. horror or more horror, it kind of throws me through a bit of a loop because a lot of the time, you know, the gutter is where you're actually going to find some of the most interesting right. horrors and some of the most sort of stylistically experimental filmmakers. It's where people like Abel Ferreira got started with like the Driller Killer and things like that. So it's just like, f- for me, the idea, I mean, I'm not convinced a lot of people who use the term elevated horror again have even explored movies pre-2000 half the time. It sounds like <laughs> it sounds like this is a response to, oh, horror used to be Saw and now it's this. Yeah, this is what it right. mostly feels like to me rather than actually <laughs> wrestling with the canon of horror films. Right. 
Yeah, again, you know, I I think that it, like prestige horror is probably a better term for it because it does feel very similar to prestige TV, which is, you know, pretty much the same as TV. They just are using red digital cameras to shoot it. You know, <laughs> like it's mostly about the look more than it is about the subject matter or the themes or any of the like larger ideas with it. It's just that it, like you're saying, approximates like a sort of glossy sort of Oscar-y movie look that we've come to associate. Uh, um, you know, with uh, being high class, and frankly, because it used to cost a lot of money to do movies that yeah. way, and now it just doesn't. It's not expensive yeah, to do it that a, way. That's such an excellent <laughs> that's point. A part of that's it. a huge. That's <laughs> an excellent point, Jack. Like, yeah, if if it, if a movie looked good, that meant it had a big studio behind it, a fancy director behind it. Now, like, you can just you know put it out, means you rented a red, yeah. you rented a red camera. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> so I, I think that Jack's point about comparing it to Oscar bait is really good because. Like, that's a sales strategy, not an artistic mm-hmm. strategy. And I think that that's mm-hmm. exactly what's going on here, too. This is a sales and marketing mm-hmm. strategy to position the films in a certain way. It doesn't say anything about the, the artistic or creative direction of right. it. It's talking about who they're trying to sell it to and, and how they're trying to sell it. Yeah, well, Kurt, you brought it up. So let's get into that research. You dive deep <laughs> into this after, you know, some tense arguments on the uh, struggle <laughs> session discord a lot of yeah, feeling, wow. people got their feelings hurt about this but i'm glad something good <laughs> wow. has come of it where you've been able to dig deep on this term and find out its origins and um they're shocking they're shocking yeah so <laughs> it's it's funny because i as as you say you know i i think that i just started popping off about it um i i think that what set me off originally was uh there was that really bad tweet about the purge talking about how you know if the purge were a good movie it would deal with class themes which <laughs> yes you know <laughs> oh my god we, which we don't you just haven't watched the movies if you're saying that you haven't watched them but whatever well the no premise I, of and, the very and, first purge movie is that they invade the rich folks home because right, <laughs> yeah. they want to be the, the homeless part about black that guy <laughs> yeah that when they were called out too they were like oh well you know if if you want accuracy you know i'm just trolling which okay whatever but so <laughs> okay great. so I went into this with the best intentions, which was much like, you know, when I hear a new term and I'm like, well, what the hell is this term? This annoys me. And I remember doing this with like uh, the vampire's castle, for instance. And I was like, well, the, clearly <laughs> this term came from somewhere. I want to give it a fair shake. Maybe people are using it in like a weird way. Like maybe there's like a, a good argument for this. So I went in search of what was the think piece that like originated this or popularized it. Mm-hmm. And all that I could find was people saying, Elevated horror is a dumb term. It's a bad term. Don't use it. So I, I started just going back further and further to figure out, like, okay, so where, where did it come from? And um, just to kind of to, to jump to the end, um, it's, it's, as I kind of alluded to before, it's not really ever used by creative people until around, ah. like, 2016, 2017. When you dig down... You find it used primarily for people talking about pitching screenplays and um, directors and producers who are trying to make sales and like uh, and like distribution deals. And they're talking about like this that is what sells, so this is what doesn't sell. Um, and in particular, what really I think cracked it for me was there was a particular like uh, screenwriting blog where they were talking about like everyone wants elevated horror everyone wants elevated thriller and that's actually an interesting side point is that it wasn't originally just elevated horror um these like production people were talking about all the genres as elevated as basically what we already said like it's um it will stand out from the pack 
and so from be- before about 2012, it's it's only like marketing and salespeople who are using it. Um, interesting, the, the first two people that I could find uh, quoted using the explicit term elevated horror uh, was uh, Simon Oaks, who's the guy who is like the, the part owner and CEO of like the, the relaunched Hammer Horror um, and then this guy named Breck Eisner, who did, who directed uh, the Last Witch Hunter, and is literally Michael Eisner's son. Um, and both of oh, these great. guys come from like development and production backgrounds, like really not like artistic or like creative backgrounds. That makes sense. That does make sense that this is another one of these sort of like marketing terminologies. And also, you know, again, like it is like, you know, uh, with all these kind of things, it's so seldom actually the like creative people behind these works. And it's always just some like annoying thing the marketing department did to <laughs> that like has like fucked everything up. Yeah. And what's- yeah, they were like, oh, another horror film. How are we going to sell this one? Well, it's mm-hmm. slightly better. Than the last one that we did, and, and you so, know what's, what's and we really have a word for that. about it. We want to do an NPR rollout for this one. So, <laughs> what's what's really sleazy about it um, too is is that like the way that this term seems to have gotten into the mainstream is by like entertainment um, magazines. I, I hesitate mm. to call it like journalism. Basically, sure. uncritically printing slightly rewritten like press, press releases. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, specifically, there's and this is probably a, a good point to bring up. Uh, Gene Simmons, who who figures prominently in this hilariously, um, in in 2015 uh, there was this deal between like WWE Studios and Gene Simmons's uh, yeah. like long since abandoned production company called Erebus uh, to to develop some some films. And um, Rolling Stone printed a thing about how oh uh, Gene Simmons is going to to develop these elevated horror films. And they put it in like the scare quotes, <laughs> and then they did a follow up feature about Gene Simmons. Uh, picking his five favorite elevated horror films, <laughs> and he just says the the dumbest possible stuff. Like he sounds just like I I can't even explain like how like anyone who tries to use this term uncritically should really go and find this interview because you will immediately want to distance yourself from it. Like just as so, a, you're telling me you're telling me that this term is possibly was created uh, for Gene Simmons to get a, a piece in like. Entertainment Weekly or something? It was in Rolling Stone, but I, I wouldn't say Rolling it was created Stone. Okay, for that. Well, that's slightly better anyway. To promote a movie created by WWE Studio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, ju- just for a sampling of, like, the, the things that he says uh, to define elevated horror, he, he trashes uh, Texas Chainsaw, um, like, like off wow. the bat, and it's like, you know, I guess that's okay for some people, but it's just not sure. my style, which, again, this sure. is like Gene Simmons. Um, the, the funniest <laughs> one to me is he mentions The Omen, which is one of my favorite horror films, and he says that it's elevated horror. He literally says it's elevated horror because Damien has numbers under his hair, and it's so scary. <laughs> what? <laughs> so this is a term that was created by Gene Simmons, or <laughs> by Gene Simmons' guys. I think Gene Simmons adjacent. And let me tell you something. The movie that they end up releasing for this rollout is a film that originally was called Temple, but then it was changed to Armed Response. I think everybody should take a look just at the poster. Uh, I'm going to drop a link in the, let me drop a link in the chat so you can uh, see sure. um, what the, what this, this elevated horror, the prototypical elevated horror. This film. is the, the art, the, the, uh, the first ever elevated horror story. Wesley Snipes in armed response. Wow. Wesley Snipes and Hayes. <laughs> 
It is Wesley Snipes. An elevated poster. Like, <laughs> in the most Photoshop form. It has a 0%. 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's what ele- See, it was just ahead of the critics. That's how elevated it was. So that's, this is how elevated this thing was. That's actually a trend in these is that almost all of the films that you find being marketed as elevated horror, when, when they come out, they're they're just like shit. <laughs> well right i mean if you are like having to market a movie that is really really shit i mean i guess it makes sense to get out there and be like actually it's like artistic it's an art film it's an art film <laughs> it's art. It, well, see it, you put down everything else and then maybe it looks better right. compared yeah. to- <laughs> well see this this makes a lot of sense to me from like a distribution angle um because a lot of uh, i i work at a, a theater where we program um, films we work with a lot of distributors and a lot of what they try to get you to do is to be like you really need to like push this film you need to promote this film for mm. us um, and so this makes a lot of sense because it's a way from them to separate their horror film from other horror films that come out because we get one that right. come out you know once a month every other month you know something like that but what's interesting to me is the development and maybe Kurt can fill us in on some of this is the development where critics themselves picked this up and started using it as a term themselves because I kid you not just this year I thought I was like, I thought I like my brain had officially melted and I wasn't sure what I was actually seeing. But there was legit a Vice article that came out this year. And the, the headline was, Happy Death Day to You is the first slasher movie to deal with grief. <laughs> and, and, and I read that and I was like, one... Happy Death Day to You is barely a slasher movie in any capacity. It's actually more of like a weird teen sci-fi hijinks type movie. Um, and also it very, very broadly in the most loose term of the word grief, uh, like a- explores that. And I was sitting there and I had to read this article when I finally pulled it up because I was like most slashers and definitely all of the great ones that I can think of incorporate punishing violence, you know, stemming from a place of pain or abuse. Right. You can find this in like Silent Night, Deadly Night, the stupid, like kitschy killer Santa movie. And it focuses on how him becoming a killer Santa is trauma from his parents being murdered by a dude in a Santa outfit who mugs them. And then his abuse and sexual repression at the hand of like a Christian orphanage that he goes to. And that's how he becomes killer Santa. I'm like, this is from like the eighties. Uh, and I, I, I opened this up to be like, okay, how's their argument? Where are they going to say that this is the first ever one to mention grief in a slasher movie? <laughs> and the only movies cited, I kid you not, were uh, Hereditary, A Quiet Place, and Bird Box. Bird Box! <laughs> None of which are slasher movies. And all of three of which deal in some capacity with grief. <laughs> so- <laughs> I was going to say, like, even, I don't even, like, love A Quiet Place that much. And I'm like, it's a hundred... It's like the whole thing the movie's about pretty yeah. much you, <laughs> you scan that article and those are the movies they mention and i think they might loosely reference scream which again 100 percent a slasher movie dealing with grief yeah. right. uh, <laughs> i mean so like this is yeah. the, i don't understand how it went from a marketing term to all of a sudden critics or people who just don't watch movies picking it up i mean i guess this might just be an entertainment blogger or something who well, must have written this there's, I, I can't imagine a critic well writing josh that. there's a thing we've been a thread we've been pulling out the show <laughs> <laughs> since the beginning and this that um every single person every single film critic besides eileen jones and armand white have absolutely sold their souls completely and <laughs> not for money 
for getting to go to screenings and getting treated kind of special. That's all. For very, very little, actually. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I... I kind of view it as being almost like gaslighting where, you know, I, I mean, to, to out myself a little bit, like I, I work in, in marketing and I used to work uh, in technology uh, journalism and you basically get fed just endless like story pitches that are all preformed, nice little packages with like a nice little hook and a nice tagline. And they say, oh, and if you want to pursue this, we'll hook you up with this interview, which is right. which is like undoubtedly how the Rolling Stone piece with Gene Simmons happened, where they're like, oh, right. here's this thing. Hey, do you want to talk to Gene Simmons and get a nice little, you know, piece featuring Gene Simmons? So I, I think that what happens is like, you know, people have to produce content. The The requirements on producing content have gotten more and more ridiculous. You've gotten, you know, lower and lower paid people. Uh, trying to produce more and more content, and people probably who uh, you know to what we talked about probably have no particular affinity necessarily for the genre. They're just like shit. I need like I need a job. I need to make some money. Okay, I can write a bunch of blog articles about horror films based on these press releases. And then I think I think that humans are very susceptible to this just kind of like uh, th- this weird like normalization effect of terms because like I don't think that it was even necessarily planned to like popularize the term elevated horror right. like I, I think that the intent was I, I think that they use that in press releases just because that's how press people talk like they use all those industry terms and i think that right. you just hear it enough and eventually your brain's like here's a handy term and then all of a sudden like a virus it's like out in the wild and people are writing you know think pieces <laughs> about it i think that's probably correct yeah i mean i think that like you kind of like uh uh i don't know you like want to fit in kind of like i think this is like part and parcel with the like wanting to go to screenings and everything like that it's i'm like i wouldn't be surprised if literally just like the marketing people from the movies sometimes go out and say like and now this is an elevated horror movie so keep that in mind all right enjoy the film everybody <laughs> well yeah i actually work a little bit part-time sometimes as for as as a freelance writer for for certain places so uh, I, for example, I go to the Toronto International Film Festival every year and I go there and watch movies. And it's a little bit different because you're there usually trying to watch like foreign and international cinema that you're hopefully there not for Comic-Con related reasons. Um, but a lot of the time you will hear from press people and they are like, okay, I will give you a screener to this film, but please don't write about it if you didn't like it. <laughs> uh, and, 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 I've, and I've had, for example, I've watched films while I was there or seen screeners of films. And for example, I've written negative takes on films before and had the press people like email me and be like, can you please take that down? Um, or else you'll ruin your professional relationship with those people. And now that wasn't like officially published stuff, but it was just a case of like, I wrote a tweet, maybe slightly pre-embargo that was like garbage. And they were like, don't do that or else we'll never like, we'll never ever, uh, let you watch one of our films, you know, outside of like the theatrical release that you get in your town kind of deal. Right. There Um, was that, there was that story about, you know, Disney did that with the LA Times over there and, and outlets that were being like critical of them for like Anaheim politics stuff. They said they were going to like <laughs> withhold the, the like LA Times film reviewers access to their movies because of the LA Times critical coverage. It, it's like I'm like, well, okay, so they they do use this as like a piece of currency, you know, the fact that you can like uh, get people into these movies or whatever. Right. So then then all of a sudden there is like a a clear track set up for you to 
use a term that they want their movie to be referred to as or anything right. like that. And the, the thing that uh, throws me off about it, about it too, is uh, I think that uh, both you and Leslie kind of mentioned this part that, you know, a lot of the filmmakers opt not to use this term because mm-hmm. they don't think of their films in that light. And mm-hmm. I, I honestly think that the, the term is a huge disservice to the films, even if they are really good films. I mean, I've liked a lot, both of Ari Aster's features mm-hmm. that he's done. Um, and I thought that hereditary was in part like kind of fascinating because of how it uses this very like formally controlled construction that he has. Like he has a very good eye for symmetrical compositions and camera movements and everything, but he uses that to kind of like trick you into thinking you're watching a movie that's a little bit calmer and stiller than it actually is. And then he kind of reveals the diseased underbelly uh, of his movie, which to me kind of was like a weird yearning to kill your family. I don't know what familial (laughs) trauma he has experienced, but like that was like a near farcical, like apocalyptic movie from a guy who I feel like has imagined and fantasized killing his mother before. I think (laughs) Uh, we figured out on when we were doing the uh, show about his last movie that basically... Uh, Midsummer is basically um, he believes that relationships with other human beings are inherently um, terrifying and horrific <laughs> and full of suffering, and he's just exter- and mutilation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just externalizing what it means to be attached to another person. Is all. Right, and people are watching that and being like, oh, sick camera move. That's a good movie. And I'm like, no, 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 there's so much more happening under the hood of his movie that is beyond, you know, just what, you know, the slick camera move that he does. So it's weird to me that, again, people seem to just focus on that aspect of it. It's a disservice to him. It's a disservice to Jordan Peele's movies, too. So so um, uh, in, in terms of directors using or not using the term, um, I, I think that uh, Jordan Peele specifically, when asked about the term, he kind of pushed back, and I think he called back to that. That, that social thriller or social horror term, which was really popularized in like the 70s. You saw people using that. I do have a short hit list of uh, directors who who have specifically used the term elevated horror or elevated oh genre. Um, oh, God. So, All right. uh, who are they? Nakasa, who's the, our enemies? The director who are we canceling? Of, um, <laughs> the director of uh, Insidious um, referred to Insidious as an elevated James genre. James Wan? Film. Yeah. He, uh. That was back in 2011. <laughs> that was actually re- a really early usage. Early. Yeah. Um, so did Gene Simmons. He said Insidious was elevated horror, too. Gene Simmons said that. This all comes from Gene Simmons? What the fuck? So, the next person who used it in 2011. 2012 was uh, Eli Roth talking about Hemlock Grove, okay. that that Netflix uh, werewolf series. What? Oh, my man Eli knows better. Come what? on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> That's sh- I watched like the first like five episodes of that show. Not nary a vampire werewolf shows up. Is a is definitely a prestige TV show, meaning that it has a movie star slumming and it's very slow. Uh, and it's a soap opera, um, so it's definitely a prestige TV show. But uh, elevated horror, nah. So um, I, I know that the last one will get a reaction, which is uh, the Duffer Brothers of uh, Stranger oh, Things yes, talking of course, about hidden. Of course. They explicitly called that elevated horror as well. Well, they're just pitchmen. Yeah. They're just pitchmen to begin with. So uh, of course they're calling it elevated horror. These the Duffer Brothers are these two guys that stole someone else's idea that was already stealing a bunch of ideas. <laughs> that was like it was someone else's idea to like do this Montauk murder thing that stole all this other shit. And then they sold it to Netflix 
by cutting together a sizzle reel of all the shows they were going to rip off. <laughs> they just, like, showed clips of E.T. and shit. And then they, like, settled. Netflix settled with the, like, writer who they stole, uh, they, like, stole the, the Montauk thing yeah, from. Yeah, so Hidden, I'm just looking at the trailer for this because I'm sure nobody knows what that movie is. I have it no idea. Basically, uh, it stars Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, it looks like a zombie movie where they didn't want to pay to have zombies in it, <laughs> so they just stay in like a like sub basement the whole time, which has actually been oh, done wow. before already. And it doesn't really look particularly good or anything. Like it looks as you know, like it looks like a low budget modern low budget horror movie. So yeah, again, this- like the movies that get promoted with these terms generally turn out to not even be the sort of movie that people would call elevated horror. It's like it's like a reverse applied term where it's like, oh, this movie is good. Quick, slap the label on it, and then we can use it to try and sell ten more scripts that were like, oh, this is this is kind of like hereditary. It's got you know, it's got a family in it. It's got people. It's sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that actually reminds me of. Um, Probably my least favorite elevated horror movie, supposedly, which is uh, Trey Edward Schultz did a movie called It Comes at Night. I don't know if you guys yeah. heard about this it, one. I, I, I have, I've heard, I've heard of it. It's been in my Amazon queue for forever. <laughs> I haven't watched it. It looked really good. It looked well. Yeah, it does. It looks like a really good film. And I was and going into it, I was very excited for it because I liked his drama film called Cresha, which I think he did it in 2014 or 2015. And it was a good drama film. And then he came out with a horror film and I was like, oh, why is this guy making a horror film? And that turned out to be exactly the right question because bar like <laughs> bar none, it was the worst that I've seen because literally the twist of the movie, which I'm not going to reveal the plot for it. The twist is that, oh, the thing that you thought was like a supernatural monster the whole time it was an allegory for us humanity it was coming from inside the house the entire time Uh, and like and and it's used as like a a weird like makes you think drama thing wow and i was sitting there and i felt so cheated by the movie not in the sense that they marketed it as like a monster movie i wasn't like i didn't need to see like this big monster or whatever they do have the word monsters and big bold letters in the trailer yes (laughs) yes and yeah it's ultimately revealed to be like actually humanity is the real monster if you think about it all right that's a really Uh, fresh take honestly you know i guess i I agree but enough with that shit And yeah, I just I that that shit kills me every time. Every time something like that happens. Yeah, so so I mean to to raise another point that really it, what I think is the worst thing about this term is not just the fact that it comes from like the sales and marketing and business development side of of you know film, which I think is something that most people would say that they would prefer there be less of and more of just like the films. Sure. Um, yeah. But is to my mind, um, you know, he, humans I think love categorizing things. But I think that kind of once you put something into an easy category, it's kind of like the death of analysis. So like once Mm, you take mm. heredity, uh, sorry, uh, once once you take like hereditary and, um, you know, it follows and get out and you just draw like a nice neat box around it, then I feel like the analysis of like what those films might actually have in common just sort of stops. You're like, oh, well, this is an elevated horror film. I know what an elevated horror film is. No need to keep discussing further. Let's just talk about this as a genre now. 
Right. Yeah, at least that for like a false genre, I think that really especially holds. Like if you had put, if there was some term around these films that actually was a little bit more descriptive and we could dive deep into it, but there's nothing to sink your teeth into with elevated horror. In fact, it kind of does the opposite because it divorces these films from the films that might not be elevated, um, that are actually, you know, their inspirations. Like all the films that Ari Aster watched, um, when he was thinking thinking about heredity were not called right. elevated horror films. The films that, you know, Jordan Peele was watching when he made Get Out and Us were not elevated horror movies, but when you put them in this box together, like you're kind of forgetting all the stuff in the past. And that's why I really, really hate the term and I'm glad we're canceling it today. <laughs> yeah. It's done. Well, yeah, because it's like it's how how can you see that like Jordan Peele overtly references and praises someone like George A. Romero and then be like, yeah, Get Out's the first time I've ever thought of like <laughs> the social implications of a horror movie. Um, right. You know, someone who made Night of the Living Dead or Day of the Dead or The Crazies, which is hugely about militarism. So it's just like there are all these filmmakers who in the past uh, in the 60s and 70s made all kinds of movies talking about capitalism and militarism. I mean, uh Leslie, you came when you came on our show. You brought on one film I hadn't seen yet, and that was the Japanese pinky film, Female Prisoner. Yes. And I was watching that, and I was like, "How is a film that is as an effective character drama and it's gorgeous and moving, but because that film lurches into being sort of repulsive and disreputable when it comes to violence or nudity, all of a sudden that's not an art film anymore? You know, like that is a lower form of of film. It's not respectable. So like that, just like completely." throws me off uh, because it's such an ahistorical term and at the same time if we're gonna say that they're praising visual style like john carpenter is the one who expanded what you know sort of smaller budget films did with widescreen cinematic language right. de palma's carry is one of the most beautiful and lush lushly photographed horror films i've ever seen so th there's this weird thing where like everything that they're saying about elevated horror films like none of it is unique and yet somehow all of these descriptors are elevating them so it's this weird thing that i just i i cannot track at all it also i think has some there's an element of it of the kind of modern, you know, sort of internet criticism thing of everything has to be the first time yes. ever. You know, it's this kind of like we have to elevate everything because everything has to be talked about in like such hyper hyperbolic language because mm -hmm. I don't know, that's like the writing style of the internet or something like that. So, you know, in in, cre in making, you know, Wonder Woman into the first, you know, uh, uh, action movie starring a woman, you know, you are you know, able to sort of uh, uh, make it feel exciting to be alive right now, I guess. But you're also <laughs> erasing like every other movie, you know, that uh, that came before and, and that did that. I don't know. I, I do feel like it's a sort of uh, uh, offset of this sort of modern, you know, uh, uh, virus in, in like Internet uh, film criticism. I think like bringing it back around to the marketing side, um, a, a comparison that I used uh, specifically talking about this term was the way that as soon as the iPhone came out, the category of smartphone was created. Even though, like, uh -huh. we had smartphones before the iPhone, they were called PDAs. I had the BlackBerry. It was pretty yeah. good. And it had the web on it. But as soon as that was out, it was like, oh, well, those don't count anymore. The only company right. that knows how to make smartphones is now Apple. It's a new thing. PDAs don't count. You know, like, go suck it, BlackBerry. Right. And I think it's exactly the same 
thing where it's like, oh, well, now we are the experts in elevated horror. Have you released any <laughs> elevated horror? I didn't think so. Right. So you're saying that A24 is Apple. <laughs> basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> You know what? That fits for me, actually. It actually does fit. <laughs> and uh, so something else I wanted to mention is um, one of the things that really drives me up the wall about this is I think that maybe more so than any other genre, like horror has a very strong claim to originating from like things that people would consider like art art, you know, like capital A art. Like some of the earliest horror films that we can recognize as horror films came out of like German expressionist uh, theater. And it's like that would, you know, people look at that and they're like, oh, well, this is like high culture art. And so to say that the genre needs to be elevated at all is kind of an absurd claim to begin with. No, yeah, that was exactly what I said to Leslie when he brought this up is that the idea that like art film and drama film sensibilities merging with horror imagery happened for the first time in 2015 <laughs> with The Witch and not the very first horror movies in the 1930s when you, you know, the Universal Monster movies are stage performers doing very classy, dramatic films, but using visual imagery that, again, yeah, German expressionism is expressionism is a good spot where there's lots of shadows and then even later in the 30s you could find lots of like they started taking on more macabre like actual narratives like one that that i really like called the black cat from 1934 has boris karloff and bella lugosi in it and it is a movie where uh one of them has built a modernist home on top of a world war one battleground and you Mm. think for a long time that it's just oh it's this drama this like weird sort of family drama inside this modernist home and then underground there's like a satan cult where they are sacrificing people um and it's this very disgusting shadowy underground lair and there's like women being held in glass cases of like their previous widows and stuff and it's like this movie came out in like 1933 like it's a pre-code uh (laughs) horror movie and so again the idea that that wasn't at the time merging what would have been like classy art drama sensibilities and horror like it's crazy that this is again what we now consider trash or exploitation again is actually newer than what they're calling elevated (laughs) (laughs) my response to the elevated horror i don't want it to be that like every horror film is full of art and all this wonder but no some of it is trashy and that's okay and there's still like a lot of stuff to learn right. from films that like aren't shot well and are really cheap right. and maybe a little bit ugly looking like it like there's value in that too like the the idea yeah, is exactly. to like get rid of this idea that like you need to elevate something right like right. like to get rid of the idea that there is any value to this Oscar bait aesthetic, you know, necessarily like films that don't like something like, I don't know, Evil Dead or Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like to pretend that those films like aren't important to film history and don't and aren't artistic. Like my also, by the way, aren't like beautiful. Yeah. Like actually like (laughs) beautiful in their own way is like is is truly gorgeous. Like and it was made like it's gorgeous because of its limitations. Like it's shot on like a different mm-hmm. stock of film because it was like cheaper and it kind of gives it this like fucked up sort of found footage really textured feeling, look you know yeah. yeah like i think it is beautiful <laughs> in some ways by by even by you know saying that because it has this glossy look it's like in an elevated category that is also discounting like that there is beauty in other looks kind of exactly yeah. there are more disreputable looks and again i i do think that really by you know using this term you are closing yourself off from the experiences of other films because you can even 
even look today and find lots of great indie horror films that are like disgusting looking and part of that's part of the appeal <laughs> like again there, there's this isn't to say that like all elevated horror is bad or that like right. um you know that there aren't trash horror films out there it's just that like it's not inherent to someone replacing you know replicating prestigious filmmaking style you know something that um looks good or expensive can be bad and someone using cheaper disreputable tools can wield them to really interesting effect i actually think that rob zombie is a really fascinating filmmaker if you go through his filmography and go through some of you know his his shot compositions and the things that he's doing his halloween Mm. 2 is insane like one of the craziest most like weirdly abstract horror films that has come out that came out in the 2000s and like again for some reason because he kind of looks like a weird dude and he uses these really (laughs) absolutely disgusting cameras uh you know there's nothing interesting happening there i mean people say the same thing also about paul ws anderson's resident evil movies because they look they're a little bit lower budget and they can't afford to do these amazing vfx he still weaponizes them in like weird ways and to shut yourself off from that and be like the only horror movie that has ever come out is the witch or it follows (laughs) uh (laughs) it's just like it's a disservice to doing yourself a disservice exactly yeah it's true I kind of yeah, feel like I just want to say that I I feel like that's the evidence of my point that Paul <laughs> W S Anderson is the superior Paul Anderson. Well, well we don't have to, we don't have to go down that, that rabbit hole. I don't, right you know, now. we don't need to. All right, <laughs> I don't know that I would go there, but I would agree with you guys that Batman v Superman is 100 percent the best superhero movie that has come out in this decade. It's so. fucking great. Yeah. It's good. That's a fun and, movie. And I will say this is that when I I saw that that was when when I actually worked as a critic and I went to the like original screening of that and I wasn't crazy about Man of Steel, so I went to it a little skeptical but me too but i when i got out of that movie everyone that i saw it with was like that is one of the worst films i've ever seen and i left it and every one of my twitter followers expected me to hate the movie and i was like guys that was genuinely gorgeous and i loved it (laughs) Um, cool it was one of the most like uh disgusting like actually politically activated superhero movies that i had seen a long time superman takes down a drone batman (laughs) freaking like is like straight up mutilating people and quoting dick cheney (laughs) yes Uh, so like i'm like guys that is one of the craziest things someone has ever made for 200 million dollars yeah that's a big movie and it's got you know it's 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 like as it's an auteur film it's 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 elevated superhero film yes elevated superheroes there you go it is yeah so so i want to try to empathize briefly with the people who are obsessed with using this term because term because one of the things i think is weird is that uh, a lot of the people are seeming to choose this as the hill that they die on of of Mm -hmm. like like we said before, there's really not any like film blogs that are out there saying like, yes, this is a good thing. It's just endless people saying it's it's a bad thing, but it still keeps happening. And then people <laughs> will get into internet arguments about it. And um, so I I want to I want to call them in, not call them out, and say sure. that I I think that a lot of the people doing this are people who have written off a huge swath of art and prejudged it. And I say this because I used to be a person who did this too, and specifically. Um, two two films or, or two series that I came to actually really enjoy that I had written off a while ago without seeing them unfairly uh, was uh, the Paranormal Activity uh, series. The, the first couple of them, I wound up watching them after completely saying, oh, like these are going to suck. And I actually like quite enjoyed them. I thought they were like, you know, like pretty decent. And likewise, um, I actually kind of like a lot of aspects of the Twilight films. Um, I actually think they're much better films than people give them credit for. Uh, and so what I want to say is if y- I feel like a lot of the people who are saying, oh, no, like 
elevated horror is better than like you know the trash that's out there and i feel like in their head they're thinking of like the saw films and you purge. know paranormal activities clearly five yeah and this, the purge films is like give these things a chance um and i think part of the problem is probably that a lot of people first encounter horror when they're quite young and it just serves as like a transgressive thing and you're not old enough or mature enough to appreciate the artistic aspects of it. So mm-hmm. you may be missing out on an awful lot. And I think that if you just go and check these things out and like try not to prejudge them, uh, you'll realize that you've been wrong all along. You're very wrong and should apologize to everyone for using this <laughs> term. And then, the apologizing to everyone's the most important part, I think. Yes, loudly, loudly and <laughs> in public. Uh, and you should probably just pin the tweet to the top yeah. of your profile. But then yeah. you'll have all these new movies to enjoy. Yeah, yeah true. All right, folks. We have successfully canceled Elevate Horror. Thank Goodbye. So <laughs> Goodbye, Elevate Horror. Uh, uh, Josh and Kurt, please tell us where people can find you. Uh, you can find me at, at the Josh L. I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, just dishing out hot takes on new films that I'm watching. And I'll be going to the Toronto International Film Festival in a few weeks, watching oh, cool. a bunch of those movies. Uh, it seems like there's some good uh, small genre movies playing there. So hopefully there's some, maybe I'll find some elevated horror there. Who knows? <laughs> uh, and uh, you can also find me at uh, the Sleezoids podcast, where we talk about all kinds of trash and exploitation movies. We go all the way to the 30s and we go up, uh, we, we kind of skip out on the 2000s and the 2010s. And we just talk exclusively about the history of genre films from action to horror to, to everything. And you can find us, for example, a good one to bring up. We just recorded an episode about Christine. I don't know if you guys have seen John Carpenter's Christine. I was just watching it for the first time. I And I, I went into it based on its reputation. Oh, it's a killer car movie. Well, that's kind of silly. And uh, instead, I kind of found a movie that was like kind of weirdly about like had a fascinating subtext about America's relationship to like the car as like a symbol of fashion and freedom (laughs) and status. Yeah. And and explicitly it ties to the young kid wants to like actually have sex with the car and it ties it to industry. The opening scene of that movie is a car born in the 1950s and in the factory, like maiming and killing factory workers that it's come out of. So like, again, there is John Carpenter making what sounds like just a car starts killing teenagers, a slasher film. (laughs) And instead, you know, he finds interesting things to do it. And it's a gorgeous movie. So like, again, another, another stake in, in the heart. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Yeah, uh, so I am on Twitter as uh, Kurt M. Schiller, which is spelled probably not the way you're expecting, but you'll you'll find it eventually. Um, but uh, my partner and I um, have a children's media podcast, like Leslie mentioned, called Parents Just Don't Understand. Um, it's in all the various places, and we basically talk about um, media that we are enjoying with our our own children. We have uh, we have two young daughters. Uh, and also media that we enjoyed when we were kids, and we kind of try to tie them together in terms of like what we learned from it, what we are worried about our kids learning from it. Um, just for an example, we we just did an episode uh, on um, the Brave Little Toaster and the Land Before Time, and talked about the fact that uh, we had to have a conversation with um, our three year old about what what death is because of the Land Before Time. <laughs> <Yeah>. Real <laughs> elevated horror right there. Yeah, wow. yeah there you go. Um, but the other thing I want to shout out is uh, that for anyone who happens to live in the Philadelphia area, um, there's a great organization that I have the privilege to be involved with called Bucks County Mutual Aid, which is a food not bomb style outreach project uh, that's focused on helping people experiencing homelessness and food insecurity. Um, and it's a good organization. It's run on socialist principles and we're always looking for more help. So if you're a Philly area person and you're a socialist or kind of socialist friend, which I hope many people who listen here are, uh, you should check it out. 
Very cool. Yeah. All right, folks. That was Struggle Session. Have a good one. Later. Like what you hear, want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.